Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. And welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with my brand new, wonderful podcast partner, Tina Spring. And uh, today we decided to talk about things that happen in the summer, things that we want to be aware of, things that we want to try and avoid, and some positive, and hopefully a few positive things in there as well, not just things you want to avoid in the summer, but things that you might want to consider doing. So one of the things that I was thinking of was uh, some of the hazards of wildlife, perhaps. And I think you have a story about deer, do you not? Oh, we do. Yes. So I came home from teaching a group class uh, last week, and I come in, and Christopher's looking all glum. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa. And he's not a glum guy. Like, he's a pretty happy guy. And I'm like, so uh, what's up? And he said, so our dogs have a pet. And I said, what? He said, yes, our dogs have a pet deer. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about, crazy person? And dogs have a- we have a pet deer. So we have a deer that we are, if you're on Facebook, if you're friends with me on Facebook, she's being referred to as Buck Buck because at first we thought it was a boy. But but the dogs call her. They go out in the they backyard. They call her? Yes, they call her day and night. And she comes. And even if, like, Chris has gotten within six feet of this wild deer, right, um, in our yard. Like, she's unabashedly, she was in the carport sniffing the Alfa Romeo the other day when I got home. Like, she just has decided she lives in our yard. And so that, it got me thinking, right, because, so I'm a dork, right? Like, I totally love animals. So I'm all excited. Like, I'm adding, like, deer feet and apples to the (laughs) wonder list. And And then it dawns on me, like, okay, there are other pieces to this that I need to consider. Like, how's this going to go during rut? Right? Like, oh, yeah. Right? Like, is is this suddenly going to, is this bringing new hazards into my yard? And and are there hazards I haven't thought about because I'm busy swooning over I have a pet deer? So, so one, I mean, while I would, so I do call her, I'm a jerk, I'm a jerk, like just don't listen to me. So I do go out and buck, buck, buck. And sure enough, she like, Hey, what's up? And she comes and she says, hello. Um, she will run up and down the fence with the dogs, which of course runs the risk that my crazy feral dogs are going to get into a dog fight because there's venison still on the hoof. Um, I do <laughs> worry about rut, but I also worry about flea and tick, right. And other, oh, yeah. other parasites that deer have. And now those are all being, you know, transmitted into our yard really close to our dogs. So while and those deer ticks are super tiny, so they're very hard to see. And if yeah. you have long-haired dogs, it's nearly impossible to find them. Yeah. So, I mean, my dogs are all on flea and tick preventative, which is a misnomer, right? Like all of the flea and tick preventatives, it's my understanding, kill the ticks. So it's not that it keeps tick off of your animal. No. The goal is to kill the tick before it can transmit disease. So um, I had my, I, I like made a call to my dear friend who's a vet and was like, it's a 911, we have a, a deer. Um, she, of course, <laughs> is also putting, you know, deer chow and apples on her wonder list so she can come make friends with Buck Buck. 
Um, but we did talk about some of these hazards and obviously I'm not encouraging it. I am being careful. We're sending the dogs out one at a time. We're going with them, although that does not seem to dissuade Buck Buck. Um, and I'm not feeding her, even though there's a piece of me that totally is she here. Right. Is she a young deer? Is so I think she's an adolescent. Yeah. Like I think, okay. I don't think she's a mama yet. Um, though I'm sure next spring she will be, but she's really, um, so there, I mean, we have neighborhood deer all the time. She's really stable. Like she, she doesn't foot stomp at the dogs. She doesn't foot stomp at me, but of course, this, like I'm a geek. So this starts my whole, like talking to all of my forestry and deer management friends and asking them what I need to know. And, you know, is this a sign? Cause I know deer can get distemper. They can get rabies. Like, I'm worried about all that whole continuum of crazy that of right. course my silly feral dogs, you know, have conditioned a deer that barking and running up and down the fence line like yahoos is friendly behavior apparently. <laughs> so, okay, so, so this is funny. a somewhat dysfunctional deer. Well, um, you know, I mean, I think every dog trainer has a certain amount of animal related dysfunction in their world. I think that. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I would agree with like that. that. Like, have you had a deer or a raccoon or some other level of insanity decide that your dogs are fun and awesome? Um, well, no, not really. Although we did have, we moved back from um, Princeton back to Ohio. Our yard was knee deep in grass and we did actually have a fox. I think it was his meadow and he was living there. And um, that would, which would explain the carcass that Brad found in the grass when he was mowing. When my son-in-law said, yeah, there were bunnies living under the bushes. And I'm like, well, there aren't any more, um, which has probably brought Mr. Fox. And so what was really interesting, though, was that after Brad mowed down the tall grass prairie that had been our yard, the fox came back the next night. We were sitting at dinner at the kitchen table, and I look out, and he walks in front of our pond, kind of looks around at the yard, circles around the pond, and leaves. He's kind of like, kind of like God, Frank was right. They, what happened to my meadow? He's right. They mowed it down, right? So, so, so um, but I have not encouraged Zuzu to go out and make friends with this fox because foxes are very unpredictable and can be very vicious animals. So I haven't done that. And no, my dogs have not made friends with deer, although we do have numerous deer. Um, but what I would say is, is that I think you have an unusual deer. And I, I agree with you. I think that once rutting season comes into play, that could be a very interesting time. And next spring could be very interesting. She might change her tune quite a bit um, if she's got a baby in tow, uh, which reminds me of a story from the Wall Street from the Wall Street Journal. Once again, it's the whole dog <laughs> journal, not the Wall Street Journal, but it could be a Wall Street Journal story, but it wasn't. It was a whole dog journal story um, about this. Uh, Nancy Kearns, who's the editor, was saying that her sister has um, a, a vacant lot that's near her house that's, that's got lots of trees and tall grasses and her small dogs like to play and sniff around it. And it's never been a problem until I guess it was last week or so when there was a deer who was laying down and the dogs found it and she heard this scream and she went out and this deer was attacking her small dog. And so not paying attention to her own safety, she yelled and ran at the deer hoping that it would, charge away or run away and it didn't it charged her 
And um, she dove behind a tree and the deer finally left. And But her poor dog was left with a huge gash that was like a $1,700 vet bill. So um, deer can, and she says she doesn't know what caused it, if they were young nearby or what was going on. But deer can become very unpredictable. And I don't think people realize they're big. I mean, they really are large animals and they have an awful lot of force in those hooves. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in upstate New York where our deer are arguably substantial. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, we had, I had um, teachers who went out hunting during deer season and got gored by deer, right? Um, yeah. Um, and sometimes to the point of it being a fatal incident. So I also worked on a golf course and we did have deer who would become either have rabies or distemper. I think they would usually send things off for testing, but we didn't always get the report back. And so we would have deer hunting, you know, running down golf carts and attacking golfers. And so, you know, we would have to call in the state troopers and they would have to shoot the deer and all, like it was a whole big hub of a room. But I, I think sometimes, so I'm not impervious to that glow of, oh, we have a deer on the property that likes our, like, and everyone, you know, all my friends are like, you have to get video. And so I think it's easy to get caught up, right? Right. It's easy to get caught up in loving that our dog wants to jump in the swimming pool and not thinking about necessarily the hazards and the responsibilities that go along with that. So, I mean, I have right. a lot of clients here in Georgia who have in-ground saltwater pools. They're like, we want the dog to be able to enjoy the, the water with us. But I, I mean, I've had client dogs who have drowned from just simple right. Right, because the dog got familiar with so, like this deer is familiar with interacting with my dogs, and there are going to be some pretty significant considerations with that on the on the back end. The same thing with the pool. If you have a, a golden retriever or doodle who's jumping in the pool all the time, that runs with it a little bit of risk that your dog might potentially go in the pool when you're not there. If you're let, giving the dog access. Um, or even all the same things that can happen to people, getting a cramp, getting tired, just taking on too right. much water and, or confusion. Um, I think I've had a long career, which I'm richly blessed that I have, but sadly that also brings with it a certain, you know, laundry list of horror stories of just crazy weird stuff, you know, dogs getting in the pool and forgetting how to get out and, and just succumbing to that. And, and the horror that that is, for a family, right? Um, oh, yeah. So I think there's just lots of things. I mean, we think about the simple things like, oh, if the dog's in the backseat and we get in a car accident, like what are the consequences of that? But I think some of this other stuff, like the pool, like having the dog outside playing on the slip and slide with the kids. Um, even, so I had an incident a thousand years ago when I was young where I confused a medication, one of my medications and my dog's medication. Um, and we accidentally poisoned one of our dogs. Now, fortunately, we went to the university and ICU and we fixed it. But, I mean, we almost lost our two-year-old wonderful sweet dog just because I was a mom who was overwhelmed and in a hurry and pulled the wrong medication out of my purse and said to my amazing teenage daughter, follow the instructions and do what it says to do. And she didn't, she trusted me that I gave her an appropriate med for the dog. She followed the instructions for how to dose a human, but it didn't, she didn't notice that the med was for me, not for the dog. Right. So right. And even if she had looked at the label, she might've thought it was for you because it can't, you know, it's, it, right. you, you picked it up at the bed. That, um, which brings me to another story from the, uh, whole dog journal about, 
um, you know, these medications that are chewable for dogs are tasty. And so if you have medications for one dog, you need to make sure that that is either out of the place of, of that dog or the other dog, because there was another dog who chewed up the container of an edible medication that wasn't for him and ate most of it. Well, luckily she found the dog like right after it happened, rushed him in, they pumped his stomach or gave him charcoal for him to vomit or whatever it was they did to make him vomit. So she was really lucky. Nonetheless, it was still like $300 to, to do all this. Um, but it, it's not the money so much as you forget that, oh, if it's chewable, it must taste good. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it's going to smell good. And because dogs can smell about a hundred thousand times better than we can, the little plastic container is not going to keep the smell out for them. Right. Right. So it it's really important. <laughs> what a bear. Right. So it's those kinds of things that we can make. And these are honest mistakes. These are not people being irresponsible. It's just, just yet another note of caution that, you know, read the label when you pick up the medication or make sure the medication is put in the cupboard so that we don't have these problems. And if you designate a particular cupboard, like in my house, I have a cupboard that has all the dog medications and there's no way the dogs can get to it. And um, I did that kind of from experience because I learned that I was lucky because I had a lazy Susan and I had the dog treats on the lazy Susan and I had one dog rebel and he would hit the lazy Susan with his head and send it spinning. And then my dog, my flat coated retriever would dive in and grab the treats off of the lazy Susan. And I couldn't figure out why it was always open and why we were, losing so many treats and then the golden was looking at me like until one time i'm in the kitchen rebby comes in bashes the thing it goes spinning bing and i'm like aha and i look over at hudson and i'm like and you sir received stolen goods so don't look so innocent to me but it, but it was but it was from that incident i i realized i need to put stuff up the damn cat will not, you know, like he's in here when no, like he totally knows he's not supposed to be on the counter, right? Like he does all of the cat things. He gets up there quietly and jumps off loudly, but he'll totally knock stuff off the counter. And so we too have learned, you have to like super duper stow the things or the cat's going to be a jerk and knock it on the floor. Um, I had a, a not so funny, but funny incident from a client probably 10 years ago that she was making um, banana, she was preparing to make banana bread for like their big church gathering. (laughs) And she had purchased something like 30 bunches of bananas, right? And puts them on the counter, waiting for them all to get a, a little bit brown, right? So she can make banana bread, but they're all on the counter browning. And (laughs) she had a golden retriever. Well, I don't know if you know this, but like, Strongid, a wormer, is banana flavored because most dogs really dig the flavor of banana. Well, the bananas were just about getting to that perfect level of ripeness to make um, banana bread. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but that's really, for me anyway, when the bananas smell awesome. So she goes to do something and she comes home and the dog had eaten (laughs) like 25 bunches of bananas, right? So her immediate thing was, I'm not going to be able to make banana bread. And and then she contacts me to go, the stupid dog. And I'm like, okay, this is actually potentially a medical emergency. Like, that's a lot of sugar and a lot of potassium. And it turns out it resulted in like this big veterinary thing. 
because they were trying to get his potassium down and like all this stuff where the vet was like, thank goodness your trainer said like, no, 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 no. Like this is actually a poisoning. Like you, there are considerations beyond we're going to have banana poop in the house. Um, And so again, like it's, it's in my experience, all of this stuff is the stuff you just didn't think of. And almost always like who has room to have 30 bunches of bananas stowed? I have no idea. (laughs) right like how would I do that you can't like I don't know in a bedroom and close the door right or Um, in the the basement or something right and this was a dog who had never in his life ever taken anything off it was like a I don't know an eight-year-old golden retriever who was lovely and smart and pretty and not not obnoxious you know not a bratty teenager um so a dog who had good house manners Right. We had a dog that, that um, loved raisins. And of course, raisins can yeah. be highly toxic to dogs in very small numbers. But there are, there are certain numbers. I did a blog on raisins. So my husband leaves out. He likes raisins. He bought, left out a big box of raisins. And I come home and I knew who had done it, who had stolen it, because it was in the living room or it was in the dining room. And Buckley always took whatever he stole and, and laid down on the dining room carpet to eat it. But uh, what I didn't know was whether his two cohorts had ingested any of these. Right, so like hydrogen peroxide for everyone. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, is that hydrogen peroxide only brings up 75% of the stomach contents. And I right. realized when I called poison control, they said there's still enough in there that could cause problems. And we don't know which dogs it causes problems. And we don't know what levels. It can be as little as a raisin. So off I go with three dogs to the ER to have their stomachs pumped. So believe it or not, my husband does the same thing in about a week. <laughs> he leaves the raisins out where, Rubby can, where Buckley can get them. And I'm like, are you serious? I come back and once again, there's the raisin box. Only this time, because the other dogs had no raisins whatsoever in their stomachs, I just took him and had his stomach pumped. So now I have spent close to $1,000 for regurgitated raisins. Well, it's cheaper than a divorce, though. Probably. I I don't know. Or a prison sentence. (laughs) Defending the murder. (laughs) That's right. So um, so it was probably for six months. If anybody said raisin to me, I'm like, there's no way I would ever have raisins in my house again. But now they have us. But they had their own special slot in the cupboard now. Okay. This is where the raisins go. So as a human foster parent, there were things I just didn't allow in the house, right? Because we had, at the time, we had nine dogs, right? And it just, so like sugar-free gum, yeah, just wasn't, the xylitol, it just wasn't worth the risk. I don't, no, it's not. I, don't I mean, there are products, there are specific products that I never bring in the house because I don't want, I don't have the bandwidth to monitor enough to make sure that that's safe and stowed. Um, and I don't want to have angst with my family or my pet sitter or my staff or any of that um, over something we can just avoid. So I always joke that it's kind of like, um, so I'm almost 50, right? Like the joys of this stage of hormonal life um, and development. I, I just can't have donuts in the house. I just can't because I'll eat them. And so uh-huh. there, there is a little bit of, if there were raisins in the house, I, I don't, 
I don't think I have raisins in the house. Like if we partake in those, they're not in the house. They're like, I don't know, off property because the risk is just too, it's too big. Yes. Even, I would agree with you. Stuff like melatonin. Yeah. So I can occasionally sleep. Like I check the label. Is there xylitol in it? Because the dogs will try to get into it. You know, it, yeah. so it's just, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to be reactionary. I'm not bubble wrap in the universe. I mean, heck I ride a motorcycle, right? Like I'm not averse to some risk, but I think any, any of us who have had dogs for a long time or kids for a long time learn that, um, that a lot of the things, a lot of the incidents that occur, whether it's a, a medical emergency or, or goodness sakes, a, a conflict between an animal and a family member, almost all of those in with the, with the benefit of hindsight, it was, it was like, okay, that was kind of predictable. Like we took a risk that maybe we ought not take. Right. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question. So I have, I have clients consistently who like just randomly decide that at some moment in time, their adolescent dog or adult dog should just be left loose in the house when no one's home. Like they're just like a random thing. So, cause when I ask them like, okay, well, what made you decide like you weren't going to create when you weren't home anymore? They, they, they're like, well, I don't know. Like I, I just decided it was time and almost always like it's ridiculous. And I understand that I have a skewed, right. They're calling me, they're contacting me cause they had a bad experience. But like, it just gets run off in the ditch. And I don't understand, like, what is, like, what do you think people perceive is the reward? Because I just see all the risk. Like, dogs are not loose in our house when no one's home. Because I know a chipmunk can make it into the house. And dogs can do tens of thousands of dollars of damage to each other and the house over something as simple as that. I, I don't want them getting stuff off the counter. I don't want them eating the bananas when nobody's home. Um, right. I don't know. I think the dog trainer in me is, is, um, has skewed me to the point that I, I sometimes just don't understand that level of risk. Although I suppose there are people on this listening to this podcast going, well, you're an idiot. You ride a motorcycle. So, <laughs> well, I was going to say my dogs, my dogs have to earn the right to be out when I'm gone. And that usually doesn't happen until they're a year and a half or two. And I, I start with very short time periods. Like, you can be out while I go get the mail, or you can be out while I, you know, do something short. And so they, they work up to the period, but they have to earn that right to be free in the house. And, um, but that doesn't mean that they're always free in the house either, because there are sometimes like, um, if I have workmen coming, there's no reason why my dogs have to meet every workman. So Zuzu will be happily, you know, gated into my office. And if she's, um, or if there's something like, if she's been, uh, you know, ill, or I feel like she needs a little bit, she doesn't need total freedom of the house because we've had some diarrhea, then she'll get, you know, gated into the kitchen or, you know, put in a crate or something like that. But um, so far, she's been really good about being in the house without any constraints. Well, um, now you said that. But on the other hand, um, I live in this small town and I, I don't always lock my door either. So um, when the carpet cleaner was coming to pick up rugs, I said, I really need to be there because I can't risk you opening the front door and Susie getting out. 
So there are some, some downsides to it. So it says either I need to know when you're coming so I can put Susie in my office or I need to be there so I can manage her. Well, so, and I just think about the liability. Like when I'm talking, one, I mean, our liability that's, that, a, that something could happen, that the dogs could get hit by a car. I heard a story yesterday about somebody who had a, you know, adolescent, but very well obedience trained puppy who was running around in the front yard while they were loading the car to, to go actually to a dog show. Like these are responsible dog owners who a neighbor careened off the road to hit and kill their dog. And they had no recoil recourse because the dog was off leash in the front yard, a well-trained dog who was under their control, but cannot outrun a speeding car. Like, I don't know. I think for me, I just like the safe answer of they're stowed. Um, because I have had clients who a chipmunk made it into the house and the dog did, you know, two beautifully well-trained golden retrievers, poor golden retrievers are getting dumped on today. They just happen to be goldens. Like did $60,000 of damage in the house over a, oh my it wasn't a chipmunk, it was a squirrel. Right. And thank goodness didn't go after each other. But I mean, you totally could have had a redirected aggression in that case. My mom, so my parents have been breeding and showing dogs since 1979. My mom had an adult, stable, never, ever caused a problem, well-trained dog who was loose in the house, who randomly one day ate the center out of the carpeting. Get thousands of dam- dollars of damage, you know, probably because there was a crumb in the carpet that nobody recognized. So I don't know. I just, the risk to the dog is too big and I don't want to be mad at them. Like I just, I don't know. I'm I'm more cautionary, I guess. Well, you the other thing is is you probably have um I'm a little bit more cautious when I have more dogs, you know? Um Well, and we have two feral dogs, right? Which also changes like everything's a dragon. They're afraid of everything. I have to be really careful right. about management of arousal. Um Right. And then I have a deaf pug. Right. So that like that's another whole level. Like um, Alberto only moved in last year. Right now it's, I think, 97 here in Georgia and the heat index is like 107. And I'm finding myself constantly reminding Christopher, even when it's dark out, to be mindful of how hot it is and that this dog is not going to be as heat tolerant as his Italian greyhounds were. Um, right. That he can, well, said- like, he can overheat really quickly. Yes. And, you know, when you've got heat like that, any dog can overheat very quickly. And in fact, there is a progression to heat stroke. Um, A normal dog temperature is somewhere between 99 or 100 to about 102.5. And everybody should probably learn how to take their dog's temperature. We talked about that in one of our previous dog podcasts. I think the one we talked about dog first aid, how to do that so that you're familiar with what your dog's normal temperature is. Then what happens is that you get heat stress, which happens at about 103 degrees or higher when the temperature's up. The dog starts panting. He's drinking water if it's available. Could be very restless, okay? Um, That is a dog that needs to get cooled down. Um, But we're not at a risk for any serious long-term problems with heat stress. But if it's not addressed, it can turn into heat exhaustion. That's where the dog's body temperature is 105 degrees or more. Now you've got much faster panting, the heart rate elevates, the gums become red and tacky, 
there's a weakness and the dog could collapse. Now you're talking about a serious medical condition that needs immediate attention because your dog is at high risk for um, a variety of uh, other problems. Um, after heat exhaustion, you have heat stroke. That's where the dog's internal temperature is 107 to 109 degrees or above. And that's just beyond the pale. Um, that's when a dog is going to develop shock, vomiting, diarrhea, seizures, collapse, multiple organ dysfunction syndrome, and death may occur. So if you begin to see your dog in these hot days starting to pant and getting restless, that means that he's already being stressed by the heat and needs some attention. You need to get him inside and cooled off. You can, um, you know, uh, get cool towels and wrap your dog in it. Make sure they have, you know, nice cold water. I remember when I had a dog that got that, um, his temperature was, was having a hard time regulating at night because he had cancer. I would just pack him like an ice pack. So he looked kind of like a herring in a New York fish market, um, packed in ice. But, um, if, if you do not take care of it, your dog will suffer and could die. So it's something to be, I think the most important thing to remember is when we start seeing a lot of panting and the dog starts getting restless, that is your very first sign that something is amiss and you need to get onto it. That was taken from a little chart on a, a article from the Whole Dog Journal that uh, she had one. Some, some of her articles are subscription only. This one was not, and I posted it on my Facebook page, but I will also post it on our website so you can take a look at it and read a little bit more about it. But heat stroke is certainly something to pay attention to. And one thing to remember is that heat, the hottest part is from the pavement to about 18 inches, about up to your kneecap. That's where it's going to be the hottest and where do most dogs reside, but in that really hot zone. So make sure when you go outside, put the back of your hand on the pavement. If you can't leave it there for five seconds, your dog can't walk on it. So that's right. another and thing I to remember. The heat's something people just don't think about. And and it's, um, again, I've had, I had clients who came to me after the fact, but gave their dog heat stroke. And he had permanent neurological damage that yes. showed up in really erratic behaviors that we weren't really able to modify or manage, right? So- while the dog didn't die from the heat stroke, um, he, he was so unpredictable and dangerous after that. A dog that had been completely stable previously, um, that in the end that ended up, I mean, it wasn't safe. He just wasn't safe to have around because of the neurological damage. Additionally, like burning of pads and all that stuff. I know as a motorcyclist, it's really crazy easy to get dehydrated. Your body for humans we can't put fluids in fast enough um, to compensate for what's going out when we're when we're overheated. Um, I assume the same thing is true for our dogs. Um, but also, for me, I know that heat stress, once you've had it, you are more susceptible. And that, I, I know, happens with heat stroke as well. I know from you know, veterinarians I'm friends with that if a dog... So, so this dog that I was just alluding to who, who had the neurological damage, they were taking him for a 10-minute walk. Their, their vet had said, no, 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 a 10-minute walk should be fine. So these, this was a young college-age students, right? They put a timer on their phone because they knew that they tended to get distracted and time got away from them. That poor dog was outside 10 minutes, and it 
I mean, thousands of dollars of damage to the dog, ICU, the dog recovers, and then in the end, doesn't recover fully enough that he can have a good quality of life and be safe and able to be maintained. So I love the people's hearts are, no, 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 I'm a good dog owner, and I'm going to take my dog for a walk. But that's not always an appropriate, it's just not always appropriate. And, And just waiting until the sun goes down just isn't. It, that doesn't always get it done. I mean, that the asphalt will maintain the heat for a long time into the evening. Um, so yeah, like it's, it, it's like all of this stuff. It's just, it's a lot. And I think the average family today, in my experience is just trying to survive their day. So thinking about all this craziness is just, it's a lot. And so we tend to learn by making significant errors. Um, Right. Which has the consequences. Yeah. But, you know, um, that's one reason why we're talking about it now, so that that our listeners can learn from our mistakes and from the mistakes that that we have seen in the past, so that perhaps, you know, they can make their own mistakes. They don't have to make ours. So (laughs) that's what I always tell my, you know, like, it's, it's great. I can teach my kids not to make my mistakes. I can't teach them not to make theirs. Right. So we just, as a reminder and sort of a wrap up to this, be careful of deer, even if they seem friendly. There are some hazards there, and don't get caught up in your love of animals that might put yourself or your dogs at risk with wildlife. Um, pay attention to the heat. It can be extraordinarily difficult and damaging to you and your dog. When in doubt, stay inside in the AC and you know find some games, some fun games to play inside with your dog if they need exercise. Um, I have a black dog. We don't go out a lot during the day in the summer when it's really hot. Another thing to remember is um, water can be your friend, but it can also be a hazard. Um, a, swimming pools may be a great time and fun when you can supervise your dog, but make sure they don't have access to it if you're not there because accidents can happen. And dogs can drown just as easily as, as people can. And the other side of water is make sure your dog, if we're, we're jumping in the pool or we're jumping in the lake or we're playing in the hose or we're drinking lots and lots and lots of water, you can get water intoxication. So make sure that your dog also has time on land and urinates to get some of that excess water out so you don't mess up their electrolytes. And then it's dry drowning. I mean, think about dry drowning. Like, oh, 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 it's all the thing. Yeah, it's awful. And then also to be aware of summer insects actually ticks are not insects they are arachnids but they are nasty little organisms that could become into your yard on your favorite bambi um but they also too make sure your dog has a a tick preventative and learn how to take ticks off effectively uh tick key works really well a tick loop even a pair of tweezers make sure you don't squeeze the tick until it's off the dog because if you kill if you squeeze the tick while you're taking it off you can actually inject the contents of the tick's digestive tract into your dog, causing all sorts of problems. And I know from experience, having been treated for Lyme disease myself and having my dog been treated for Lyme disease, that you do not want to go there. So make sure you do your tick preventative and learn how to take them off correctly. So a few summer hints there for you. And uh, anything else you want to say, Tina, to wrap this up? Um, so I'm going to actually throw in a preventative, right? So so this is coming out. I think it's going to come out in August. Um, start now working on getting your dog comfortable with fireworks, right? Like New Year's is coming. And you could just think back to how it was for the 4th of July and how you were mad at all your neighbors. 
right. or work on preparing your dog, right? And um, I don't know if uh, Colleen and Julie uh, did a, a podcast on the, the how to work on, on fireworks stuff and how to help keep your dog safe, but we are headed, August for me anyway, starts me on a road of preparing my dogs for the holidays and all that that incorporates because we, like Halloween's not that far away. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas for people who enjoy those holidays. And then of course, you know, I'm in Georgia. So the gunfire and fireworks of New Year's, um, you know, celebratory gunfire. So, um, right. so all of those pieces, right? Like all the decorations that people are going to have out in their yards and kids in costumes and a giant tree is going to move into your house before too terribly long if you if you enjoy Christmas. So just all of those changes, it's a good time to, um, if you have to be inside a whole bunch anyway, it's a great time to work on your dog not being afraid of fireworks, right? Right. Doing right. that work. So an excellent way to tire your dog out without running that risk of heat stroke. So I think sometimes we're trying to work on it, um, you know, two days before how, uh, the 4th of July is just kind of a crummy time to try to get all that work in. Right. Right. So, all right. Well, Tina, thank you very much. I'm very excited that we're on, on this road together and um, we will see you all next time on your family dog. Thanks for listening to your family dog. Got questions, interesting ideas, visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.